Ask about Illuminati Since the charting of Ducks Is it Disney Mind Control? Is this MK Ultra Deluxe? Con dos shot para estar Con Disney Yo no va a tu chafar Con Disney Pino Land, Pinocchio Con Disney As above, so below Pinocchio seeks fun on Pleasure Island But traffickers need just falling minds Captain Hook the lost boy in Neverland Saving kids from Peter Pan's designs Mean of this to survive the Barracuda And that nobody means no one Snow I never took another breath Bird Prince the angel of death has come Go Disney We go from real to real Bohemian Grove and no more feel I call Disney Ask about to move and I take I call Disney Teach a call to everybody I call Disney Go wish upon a star I call Disney You know what to shout for Disney, the new land Pinocchio, yeah, yeah. I call Disney, it's a fun sort of blow. I call Disney, please enjoy the show. Howdy, everyone. Are we, are we still starting with legal disclaimers? <laughs> uh, yeah, Cold Disney has no affiliation with the Walt Disney Company. All the trademarks, copyright are entirely theirs. This is entirely for educational and parody uses and entertainment only. Please don't sue us. Thank you. And that's how we say hello to you. Uh, this is Matt here. As always, is the paranoid American there. Hello. I'm a lawyer now, too, if you couldn't tell. Right, right. With all that 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 funny talk, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, today we're hitting one of the... I, I think we're hitting one of the biggies. This is one of the uh, cornerstones of... Of the whole shebang now, right? The feature film debut of Pixar, uh, giant, massive IP. That's that's the Toy Story, and the present, and I guess in 1995 as well. Yeah, <laughs> this one's a big one, and I was I was even saying right before we were starting that we might even have to come back and do Toy Story again. But you reminded me that we do that about three more times. So that's there... right. There's a lot of angles and tangents that I didn't go as deep on just because I know we're going to come back to it and I can get deeper. But I've, I've got my own my own approach today. Yeah, I've actually been kind of drowning in Toy Story this year. Um, I hadn't watched any of them for several years, but I do my film podcast where we did Toy Story 3 and actually this one. And I finally got around to watching Toy Story 4, which uh, it took me quite a long time. That's the thing. Um We'll talk more about four when we get to it, of course. But one of the biggest things that does is justify its own existence. Because after three, it just didn't need to seem to um, need to happen, you know. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I don't even know if I've seen all of four, and I definitely haven't seen 
Lightyear from start to end. I um, don't think anyone's seen Lightyear from start to end. I haven't seen any of it myself. <laughs> I mean, I've heard it's at least bearable from start to end. It might not be good, but I don't know. Is it unbearable like cats? Like I, I, I unironically or maybe ironically, like I, I went to watch cats because I heard how bad it was, right? And I just wanted to, to see like the absolute train wreck. And I'm telling, it's the only movie in the history of any movies ever that it was so bad. Like I was, I was getting nauseous and like dizzy, and just I don't know. I, I felt like anxious. Like I had to get up and do anything other than sit there and watch the cats movie. I'm, I'm sure the the upcoming butthole cut will make everything better where they digitally react. Although, man, the the song I can't remember <laughs> what the very the very first song. First, it was like, is this the song? And I was looking at my girlfriend, and it was kind of funny at first, and then it just became unbearable. And that I'm telling, not being dramatic, it's the only movie that's ever been so bad that I couldn't even force myself to watch it. I, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, we did get some folks gave us like free tickets to the musical back in the late 90s and, you know, coming in knowing nothing about it. And I remember my father and I sitting there just like, what the hell's that going on? Because, you know, it doesn't really have like, say, a story. I guess that's the thing. It's a musical review. But uh, I, let, let, maybe let's talk about something where uh, the music's a little better. The story's a little better. That would be a, a Toy Story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It is objectively better than Cats. I'll I'll at least go out on that limb. Yes, yes, objectively better than Cats. It seems like a good... uh, You you don't need to be suffering toxoplasmosis in order to to be able to sit through it. So that's a plus. I was one of the rare people that that saw this in 95 actually coming and having seen the Pixar shorts, or at least some of them. Um, In Atlanta, at the Woodruff Arts Center, High Museum, whatever, you would have like short film festivals. And I remember um, when I was a kid, we'd see some of them. So I'd actually seen stuff like uh, Tin Toy and and a few of the movies listed behind uh, Woody on the bookshelf early on in the movie. I'd seen a few of those already. So um, I wasn't completely blindsided by the vibe. I guess it was still impressive, especially getting in feature film length. That was kind of, of course, a mind blower in 1995. So... And just to get all the the subjective opinions out of the way, or at least the like the the movie level views, how does it hold up to you in twenty twenty four? Actually, you know, I just watched four. Obviously, the animation is you know night and day. That's one thing where hand drawn kind of comes out because if you look at Fantasia, nothing about it looks particularly archaic, right? It's still like the most amazing man- uh, animation. You look at Toy Story one; it's you know you've seen everything in the past. 25 almost 30 years and uh yeah the animation is a little funky looking but i think the story and the the voice acting stuff actually all hold up pretty well it's still a very watchable movie so for me yeah i'd, I'd say watchable serviceable it, it holds up in that regard although yet there's like i guess the uncanny valley effect feels more pronounced now because back when it first came out everything was much more realistic seeming this is like the same phenomenon as like when the Genesis came out and it looked so 3d, I couldn't believe it. And then the PlayStation one came out and then that was the most real thing. And I couldn't like, nothing will ever get realer than these cutscenes in final fantasy seven. And that, you know, that turned out to not be true either because it keeps getting better and better. But there was one aspect in this toy story where like when they show ropes or when they just show things now that would be trivial for a 3d engine to render the ambient shadows or like a different pattern when it's up close. And there was a bunch of, instances of that here where 
the graphics seemed, you know, less clearly less than a PlayStation Four, for example. Uh, and they it just stands out because now it's so ubiquitous that any sort of generated 3D has these extra little like imperfections. That's a good uh, reasonable one. Like you'll see a rope, and the rope's the exact same pattern all the way down, no sort of variations whatsoever. And that's the kind of thing that just almost some engines just like automatically add some of that weathering, you know? Yeah, I mean, they couldn't do hair, which is one of the reasons that they're focusing on toys so hard. You know, the early shorts is a tin. It's toy, smart, man. And- a lamp, you know, things that don't really need that level of detail. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, Andy is absolutely terrifying now when you watch this. Yeah. <laughs> all the all the people are terrifying. All the eyelids, anyone that blinks, their eyelids are always terrifying. But the freaking army men hold up, man. The art, like, if this movie were just about the little army men, I think it could hold up way better than the regular one. Like, maybe if they just did a, what was the well, Tom Hanks has been in a million more movies. Wasn't he like Band of Brothers, or am I or am I making that up? He was. Um, he produced it. I think he was in it. Uh, he's in Private Ryan. Then he produced Private Ryan. Band I was Brothers. thinking of Saving yeah. Private. Like okay. if if they would have remade Saving Private Ryan, but it were just like army figures from Andy, like Andy's army figures, and they went over to Sid's house. But I don't know. I'm just throwing that. That's a free one for Disney in case they're listening. Yeah. Please don't sue us, by the way. (laughs) They're not listening, because otherwise you wouldn't be seeing this. (laughs) But, um, yeah, basically, again, I I watched it two months ago. I just had to watch it again. Or I didn't have to, but I did watch it again now. And uh, I didn't, you know, feel like I was wasting my time. That's nice. Uh, Earlier this week, I had to watch the movie Bucky Larson for my podcast. That felt like a waste of time, even though I was still doing a podcast on it, you know? (laughs) And I'd never seen that before. As long as you could actually get through it, it's not as bad as cats. Uh, I had to get through it, right? <laughs> we'll we'll see. I, I'm not going to ask anybody out there to watch cats. Actually, please don't. Even if you're planning on it, do anything right. else. Rip out a fingernail just to go through the experience. Because the the lower the lows, the higher the highs. And oh no, I, I'm gonna Cats have to watch gonna that do one. It for you. I'm gonna have to watch that one eventually. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll maybe think fond thoughts of Toy Story as I do that. But uh, uh, when did you did you see this in its uh, initial run? I'm pretty sure I did. Um, although I probably saw it when it came out onto DVD or whatever it came out onto. So I wasn't in the theater for this one, and I don't know if I cared about it as much. But it was fascinating to see the like 3d advancing because i was definitely interested in 3d at this point and it i guess that is where they get their four quadrant thing because i again we've talked how in the mid 90s i was not in the market for going to see kids movies for the most part um but yeah this one was i remember being kind of like uh you know looking forward to it being excited about it uh possibly because i'd seen a little bit of the cg stuff already and it was, yeah, this you know, one giant. attracted like adult nerds as opposed to just animation people because there's there's a line that a lot of people draw where they're like, I'm an adult now, I don't watch cartoons. Even if it's like got you know, even if it's like Akira, they'll just be like, Oh, that's a cartoons for kids. And it's, I don't know, man. There's there's some animations that are way more adult than you know, really gritty looking video of realism. It's just it's a different genre. Yeah, I guess in 2024, uh, maybe anime has climbed out of that hole. But in the 90s, I think it was still pretty deep in it. <laughs> and this one had a few little bones that they throw to the adults, too. There's a 
there's a little implication that Woody is is banging Bo Peep, and then there's one where Mr. Potato Head takes his lips out and he slaps his ass with them to imply that you know there's like a character that's kissing another character's ass. <laughs> Those ones are kind of funny, and there's like a few other ones too that are, they're crossing on dark and you know inappropriate, but they don't say the things. They like leave it out, which I kind of appreciate. Now, this is such a, you know, sort of massive bit of the um, history to look into and, and, you know, a decent film to look into. I'm, I'm sitting here wondering where, where we should start because this is one where, like, everyone's, like, talked about this movie to no end in the first place. So uh, I, should we just jump into stuff? Well, I've, <laughs> I've got one proposal, and I, I want to just throw out because there has been a bunch of kind of out there conspiracy reviews of Toy Story and linking it to whatever you want to link it to MK Ultra and whatever. I would prefer because this is, I would say, the first big CG Disney movie that unleashed a whole nother beast onto the world that we're dealing with today. That I almost want to pitch this as like the new version of Fantasia. Like, this is the Disney's CGI Fantasia because what they do, and bear with me with that, all these toys. These are the Disney proxy taken to that next level, like these these little homunculus, these little digital homunculus now that they can actually invoke spirits into. And what Disney does with Toy Stories, they are literally on the screen showing you that these inanimate objects, if you invest enough, you know, attention to them, then they actually love you back and that your attention equals love in their little world. And that if you get bored of them, not only do you throw them away, but you're like ripping away the only source of love that they have. Like you're their God. They're their, your little people. They're essentially these little homunculi. And that's the premise of the movie. And so they teach you. But it's also what really happens in real life to these toys where the kids go back out. And now it's like the more attention I give my blood's light year figure, the more he loves me back and I love him and I'm investing in this. And I think that Disney like, for the first time, maybe they they kind of like with intent do a little bit of this in the same way that Fantasia creates an actual spell that creates the Disney universe. Here it is just like upping it to the next level. But now they're saying our intellectual property, our toys, the things that we sell, they have soul in them. And the more you love them, the more they love you back. And they just kind of like plant that seed and spread it out there. And uh, I think this is kind of like ground zero for that. Something to consider i guess history wise is it's not disney at this point this is a different company's fantasia if we're going to follow that thread this is you know the, the the pixar guys were pretty independent up until the mid 2000s when uh, it's a, it's point, a fair disney, point disney i would say just... it, this is the this is whoever created it in pixar in this particular case this is them summoning that like digital homunculus avatar and getting people on board and showing that it can be done at like a very high level and this opens the floodgates. So yeah, but all thing all roads lead back to Disney as case in point right now today Disney yeah. and Toy Story. So it well, I was going to say it was so powerful with this and the couple after, you know, Monsters Inc and Finding Nemo and and the sequel to this, uh, even a Bugs Life if you want, but I mean by the mid 2000s Disney itself was like, "Gee, our characters aren't like selling product like they were you know pixar is like overrunning us causing them to basically need to you know buy it and then we see in the 2010s disney kind of 
reinvent its own stuff as Pixar. So you can't really tell the difference between a feature Pixar film and a feature Disney film anymore. Other and than a nice what little, it says at the start. And a nice coincidence, Disney also kind of inherits Brave Little Toaster, uh, at least throughout the, the distribution process. So they have the full spectrum from start to end of the whole entire Toy Story lore, I think. And then, you know, add in Star Wars and Marvel, and uh, that's one of the reasons we are having such a, a look at all of this stuff. <laughs> and again, I think I think all of that just, again, is the biggest case in point. Like, Toy Story is one of those ground zero aspects of this one, because this is a this is a message Disney can fully get behind, that the things that you buy from Disney, and I assume this is only officially licensed. Like, if you're buying knockoff crap, that doesn't have souls, and in fact, those <laughs> might have demonic entities in them that are the opposite of souls so you don't want knockoffs you want official registered just from the disney store with a receipt you know all legit wonder if you steal if you steal disney merchandise does that have a soul too or is it like a gift card when you have to take it through the checkout they have to like enable it you know what i mean they have to activate it otherwise it, it never works i wonder if there's something like that when you purchase disney products I don't know. I'm actually, I, I feel like I've never actually owned a Toy Story product. Have I owned a Pixar? I mean, I'm too old for it anyway. I feel like, I've, oh, I have my Lotso Bear, of course. It's sitting back just behind me, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that counts. That's one. That does count. That certainly counts. And uh, yeah, I got it because when my daughter was two and was she liked the, the bear, not understanding that he was evil. So um, that that caused me to buy it. <laughs> and i don't think you literally have to go and purchase like a physical product like i'm, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek on that one but just the fact that any of these properties and ips occupy a tiny bit of real estate in your brain and that there's there are physical neurons that are making connections that are redrawing aspects of this disney ip instead of maybe some kind of historical event or person you should know about but don't so that to me is is all the more reason why you know Disney likes getting behind this. Well, let's look at some of the images we're getting in this uh, new ground zero for new IP. Um, I wanted to talk about the clouds a little bit because that's such a place setting for all of these movies. Okay, go ahead. Let's talk about clouds. Yeah, because we start with the clouds in here. That's what's on the walls of Andy's room, which we eventually leave. That, but. So we get out of that room, and but they keep reappearing. Even in Toy Story 4, um, I think we start or end with them, which, I don't know, just seems to be like kind of a uh, wispy, spirity kind of vibe they're, they're invocating the movies with, I guess. And I guess you could point out DreamWorks, too. That the Anytime you ever see a DreamWorks intro, it's also all cloud symbolism. Yeah, yeah, they get the, yeah, the boy fishing and stuff. So, I mean, I don't have a like, oh, I know what that means. It's just something I've observed and and actually mentioning DreamWorks because that's the main competitor to, to Pixar, at least. So, uh, well, yeah. I mean, if, if you want to read into it, not that we ever do that here, but <laughs> as it starts out again, if you look at these toys as the homunculus and, and people are gods to these little things, right? Like this is their world. So us starting the movie out starting in the clouds and then the camera kind of swoops down and goes down into this like toy world it kind of is reinforcing that idea that like we the viewers are these godlike creatures and here's what they feel about us 
and and Woody's kind of our evangelist in this case. I mean, something that's weird about these movies is, and I think you know, I hope I don't mind mentioning the fourth one a little bit because he starts to kind of come out of that in the fourth one. But for the first three movies, he's like a zealot. You know, he's completely. Yeah. 100% behind the idea that these kids are our gods and we have to do it they want and they have to love us. I I also got some of the zealot feel where it's like there's a very real aspect of they're going to come here and take our jobs and Buzz Lightyear was this immigrant from Taiwan. He was a Taiwanese immigrant that was coming here to America to take Woody's job and that was the, a legitimate concern for him. Uh, another thing in the uh well not the work print because that that was what i was hoping to see in the work print but was not the case is um the more aggressive woody of earlier versions of this movie like he was e even in animated sequences he apparently he was a lot more unlikable and, and kind of a uh, evil you know like it seemed like maybe he he did some of the stuff on purpose a little more i like um, that i like cotton mathers woody that would make this a little bit more interesting <laughs> yeah yeah because it is and the thing is woody is i mean basically the main one i mean buzz here it gets equal billing but as we go through the sequels they like never quite know what to do with them anymore because well we can't have them bump woody off of his perch but uh you know let's give him a weird little side story seems to be most of the sequels and you mentioned the work print i just want to give a quick shout out to the the, the mystery shadow person the the little X-Files guy smoking the cigarette in the hallway in some Disney warehouse somewhere because uh, I've, I've got someone that's been dropping all of these insider work prints on me of all the old Disney movies. And we've we've watched a lot of them already, but we're going to maybe go back through and touch on some things that were in the work prints that didn't make it into the final movie. And that, there might be something interesting in there. But for this one, coincidentally, the Toy Story work print did not vary very much at all from the final released version that made it out there. So there's probably an even earlier version than the work print that we got from our secret cigarette man insider at Disney. And some of them, yeah, had like animatics and sketches and, and very different looking stuff. But uh, this, this yeah, be like Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book. There was a few that have like completely different scenes that never even got colored, but you kind of see the interstitial, like a true work print. But this particular toy story didn't have that and wasn't this one the one that got deleted or am i am i um that's the second that one a different one that's that the was toy story one. two okay yeah so we we could definitely get to that but i guess we'll wait wait for that one <laughs> yeah, we'll wait for when we get to the toy story two yeah um well do you want to start making some ticks in your boxes <laughs> uh yeah do i ever so i've got <laughs> so here well i'll start with the 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 underhanded softballs pitches so, okay, I want to. I want to say that this might just be the American in me, but I just have a special place in my heart for Disney movies that have guns in them, like like actual, real, like American guns, or even I'll even accept like a Glock uh, if, if we want to go that far. Maybe like a IWI Israeli stuff. Anyways, this movie starts out, and the kid is, or they're they're basically playing with guns, which I love, and then there's a number of other instance of this they got the army men that have got guns um there's a spot where the etching sketch they do a draw like woody basically says draw you know it's like a funny play on words but then the etch sketch draws out like a colt revolver um so i don't know i i 
like that because it's you see it less and less as Disney movies continue to get produced. Um, it's almost as if in these magical worlds, guns don't exist, which is such an, a, a tempting and alluring reality for me. Uh, not because I want to live in a gun-free world, but it makes me think if I brought a gun into any of these new Disney worlds, like you could just be king. Like no one would know any. They've got all got magic, and they're all thinking about Tinkerbell, and you're just blasting. So I don't know. I I like it when a Disney movie takes place in a world that has guns. Sorry. And no one shoots the gun, so you know they're just there <laughs> that we know of. And and also notice that Woody doesn't have his gun; he just got an empty holster for the whole movie. And I don't. I wonder if that was ever cut. I wonder if there was earlier versions when he had it on him, and they were like, "That's a little problematic. Like we don't want to sell <laughs> action figures with guns." Well, eventually he's got to put his match in there. So, <laughs> right, right. Gun would just get in the way in his case. <laughs> So I don't know that that's my that was my leading one. And then uh and then the other thing too that I wouldn't say this is nefarious, this is pretty much every Disney movie, but this one I guess makes it so much more obvious because these are again like toys. So it feels like they're already part of our real world and not in some mystical fo- like cartoon forest where people talk to animals, where you've already got this whole level of separation of disbelief. In this movie theoretically even though you know sid and andy look like absolute nightmares they could be real people and when they're not on screen like again like the the little plastic army soldier men they look real enough that it feels like okay this could be a real world that i'm interacting with from behind this movie scene but what they do is they anthropomorphize all these characters for these for children watching it so that children can learn about these deep philosophical concepts like being obsolete and losing the love of your parents like a, as like someone else is coming in. And it's easy when they do this in cartoons, but the cartoons kind of like come across campy. And this one, they do it in like a very real way. Like even watching it in retrospect now, it's kind of like a, a adult sort of, I don't even know, it's like a controversial opinion, right? Like when like a new person comes in and they supplant you, like I'm not joking when this is about Woody being like like a zealot and sort of being a xenophobe of this Taiwanese immigrant that's coming in is going to take his job. Yeah, um, I am. Try- I was sitting here thinking if we have had like a kind of like modern life D- uh, Disney setting before, because One Hundred One Dalmatians is kind of Victorianish, I guess. And uh, uh, Oliver and Company aristocrat- was for the time period; it was pretty much contemporary. Yeah, that was the closest, but that doesn't have so much like you know regular life where or suburban life this is the first time i guess disney's gone to the suburbs is what i'm saying yeah <laughs> yeah because then the other one would be uh rescuers down under um but that one wasn't necessarily in the suburbs but it did have and I, and what was um yeah because they had like modern computers right yeah yeah well not just time setting but also like kind of like the setting the audience would recognize. I mean, you watch comedies, it's going to be in this kind of setting or a lot of action films or in, you know, a city or something, but this is the first time Disney's uh, really delved in there, which again, could be because this is a different creative entity coming in at the time. So entity coming in. Yes. <laughs> and, and because and it's because it was distribution only. We, we can't count uh, brave little toaster Two, which was, it was like in a contemporary college campus atmosphere. But it wasn't really Disney at the time. 
Yeah, which I guess this isn't either. It's just hard to think of that because it's so uh, brewed into the mix now. So <laughs> it is now. I mean, if and if all when all things are equal, unless this is like the most technical game of trivia, like Toy Story is Disney and has always been Disney and will always be Disney. And anyone that speaks otherwise will have the Disney Gestapo stop by and correct them. Yeah. I'm just what kind of wonder if this is kind of a kind of a new thing, kind of taking over the old thing because we had the changing of the guards over the past twenty years before this. Uh, just looking at the company itself, the company itself isn't doing that. I mean, I guess they're they're having the Disney Renaissance, so they're, they're recently doing okay. But you know, I've been kind of floundering for a while, uh, except for when Flounder was on screen. So, uh, <laughs> boo. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I just I, I wanted to own my pun before I got called on it. <laughs> and uh, and I guess on that same note too, of like these anthropomorphized characters and teaching kids these deep topics. There's one that I really love about this movie, and that's that essentially Buzz Lightyear becomes awakened. And I don't want to say woke because woke means something different than what it would have meant if I said it like ten years ago. But like, and I guess if you look at the latest Buzzyear. Uh, or Lightyear movie, like he is woke. He's literally 2024 woke. But anyways, the the original version of this movie, to me, it's like this is him realizing that 9-11 was an inside job. Like if, if you take the soundtrack away and it's just like riff tracks and it's someone else talk, it's Mystery Science Theater 3000, and you told this was all about Buzz Lightyear or learning that the moon landing was faked, right? Like, what do you mean the moon landing is fake? I've been there. And like, no, you, you've never been there. You're kind of a clone. You're like a programmed simulation version of this thing. And at the level that they do it in Disney, because they've perfected the formula at this point, and they're kind of at the the height of Pixar. Sorry. Again, it's Disney. I don't care if it was Pixar. It's Disney. It's all the same now. <laughs> if you can afford to have Tom Hanks as your lead VO, you're basically Disney. So I don't care. So, but the fact that it gets to that height, I don't know. I think it's, it's remarkable. And I mean, that's the, the next level for it. Um, something else about really all of these movies really is kind of the, the weird existential dread of the situation, you know, being, have someone scream at you, you are a toy, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> that, that, and that I think grows as we get through the movies and, maybe it was kind of in the air at the time, uh, the same kind of like weird dissatisfaction, uh, at, you know, kind of creeps in more and more as we, we get towards the millennium with 1999 having the most existential dready blockbusters, you know, ever like across the board. And I mean, this was like preparing you for that, that paradigm shift in, in some ways. Cause, and I don't, I don't know why, I resonate with it so much, but the whole the whole point when Buzz Lightyear sees himself on the commercial or like another versions of himself and everything everyone's been telling him like all starts falling into place and it breaks him and like it truly MK Ultra Project Monarch style completely shatters his mind and he and he turns crazy and the next time you see him is after Sid you know the next door neighbor Sid's little sister kind of steals him like she's playing tea with him. And he's completely out of it. And he has to be kind of like slapped back into reality a little bit. And even after he gets slapped back in, then he's got the down, you know, well, not down syndrome, but he's he feels down for quite a while uh, because he's had his entire reality shattered. So 
I don't, this is like a very adult sort of concept. I don't know if like a seven year old's watching this and just somewhere deep down, it's implanting that aspect of like, at some point in your life, you're going to le- learn that everything that you knew is a complete lie and it's going to plunge you into a depression if it doesn't break your brain first. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, for the 90s, this is the basically film made for everybody to watch. Because, you know, say like Terminator 2 or The Matrix, those are R rated, you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. This is the G there's Matrix certain, or the PG Matrix. A, yeah, there's a certain subset of people that were not going out to see Beauty and the Beast. Uh, but I feel like every there, there wasn't anyone that was like, ah, eh, screw it, I don't want to see Toy Story. Everyone was going and getting whatever this film was offering, you know? Again, this this is like peak perfected formula uh, Pixar. It's the, the ultimate four-quadrant film, uh, you know. To, to what, are, what are the four quadrants? I don't even know what the four quadrants are. I just hear a, oh. that's executive talk. Like, <laughs> it'll appeal to everybody. You know, like kids, women. Um, I, I, I don't know what the four quadrants are, but you, you hear it sometimes. Just the film that's made for everybody to go see. I mean, that's what they're trying to do now with, you know, a lot of the Marvel movies and, and things like that. And, and even the animated movies tend to be a little more like for everybody now, or at least they want everybody to go see them, which because they make money that way. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of hate that aspect of it too, though. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's populist filmmaking in the way that we're kind of like just here it is. It's for everybody. It's watered down a little bit for everyone. I'm not necessarily saying Toy Story's watered down, but you know, 25, 30 years down the line, a lot of these movies, big Hollywood movies, are just feeling more and more watered down. You know, I would love to see just what the 2024 version of a brand new toy story reboot would be or if toy story never existed and they redid it today um because yeah, we'll never second, know the first one you you all you would do is compare it to this although i'm sure they'll re- probably make a live action toy story in the next five years that'll be weird <laughs> and i've got a, a note here i've got a couple notes here these are a little bit silly but what's the difference between toy story and puppet master because they clearly show at a certain point in this movie that Buzz Lightyear and apparently all the toys would be capable of murdering an infant at the very least, probably much more than that, because he pushes this big heavy toolbox far enough from a high place that it falls and it hits the ground. And I mean, if there was if there was a crib under that, I mean, your baby's gone now. So I feel like they're it's almost like a veiled threat that like. Buzz Lightyear is letting the viewer know, hey, toys are real and toys can kill you if you don't buy me. <laughs> yeah, another thing is, like, for basically all of the movies, except for one moment here, and I think there's a moment in four, you know, toys follow this code of being completely hidden from humans, which you would assume is a law of physics. But since it's a broken a few times, it's more like a you know, a zealous doctrine <laughs> that they're following. Yeah, no, yeah. Every time that I've ever seen this employed um, in a movie, it's pretty much always not a law of physics. It's a thing that they have to do. It's uh, like, like it's part of their way of survival. And it almost it implies that there's this whole extra backstory that because if you don't, dot, 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 because if the humans find out that we're actually alive, dot 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 i assume it's like they'll incinerate us or like it'll be the great 
uh, you know, toy Holocaust all over again, and they're trying to avoid that. So that that's the implication, right? Why why else are they so terrified of letting humans know that they're living? Because I don't know about you, but if I found out that my Ninja Turtle could actually like talk back to me and love me back, it would have been nuts, dude. We would have been best friends. Like we would have went and did all kinds of stuff, and it wouldn't have been weird if everybody else had that too, right? <laughs> then you have to introduce your toys all the time. That that would be freaking annoying so <laughs> i will say again I, I saw i was a little i'm a little older than you so when i saw this i definitely felt no compunction to go buy any toys having seen this well i, um, I didn't either i guess I'm, I'm talking in the in the place of i guess the what i would consider the main demographic of this which would have been i don't know five to twelve year olds that you know aren't making any purchasing decisions themselves don't really have the rebellious attitude they're sort of not Sid's age, right? Like younger than Sid. Yeah. Um, I, I, we should talk about Sid a little bit. Every time I watch this movie, I like Sid more. <laughs> well, yeah. What 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 is it that you relate most to about Sid? Is it the mutilating of of uh, defenseless toys that have souls that Evie's proven? Well, he doesn't know that until they tell him. But he's he's an artist, you know. <laughs> like okay. we. They didn't in the late eighties. They didn't make X Men toys, so we modified our GI Joes to be X Men with and doing a little bit of painting and stuff. We we weren't mutilating them and making weird, you know. Well, I, you you might want to say homunculuses, I guess. So let's say that, uh, you know. Well, well, he's actually he's rendering these toy souls into weird new configurations. I guess that's a different thing, but. Um, keeping in mind that he does think he's just doing with a bunch of plastic. Yeah, he's an artist. That's a good point, man. I mean, Sid is Sid a bad guy if he's taking these, you know, different pieces that are already broken. Like, I guess maybe you think that he went out and he destroyed toys, but he also might have just scavenged and found these, you know, helpless appendages and stitched them together and turned them into these new little homunculi so that they can possess a soul and have a little bit of autonomy all over again. So in that case, he's He's sort of like the uh, the black market alchemist, right? He doesn't go and buy the store bought homunculus that's got all of its pieces and it follows, you know, all the the laws and the rules of alchemy. He's kind of going under the radar a little bit and making his own stuff, like these weird amalgamations of different pieces. And the implication is that he's somehow the bad guy or like the black magic wizard. But it's not I don't really he's not doing anything different. Than some of the other characters. Yeah, he tries to melt head at some point, but how did Woody get formed into the form he's at now, right? I mean, he was melted, so... I mean, we had... Um, what, oh, oh, it was a My Buddy doll, right? My Buddy? Not, not, it wasn't yeah, My Buddy. Yeah. It was my, fr my friend Ch across Charles the street's Play, buddy. And... Was it one or two at the very end where like they get melted back into the mold again? Oh. Oh, uh, three, maybe? I think it was three. Three was the one at the uh, incinerator. Um, three was the one at the military school. I think it was. I think it was the end of the first movie, Child's Play one, and they they send him back to the plant, and he gets. Oh, you're back sorry. In. You're chucking. You're chucking. Okay, I was still on Toy Story there. I think of incinerator. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I thought you said Good Guy Doll or, or My Little. Oh, oh my my, my buddy. buddy. No, no, my I buddy. My buddy was the freaking Good Guy Doll. It's not right. That was the, the real here. one. So, you know, we we had gotten our hands on a camcorder and we were like doing things with my buddy like crazy stunts you know like throwing him down the stairs and filming it which you know when you're so you were 11, sitting 
<laughs> that's my point we were sitting at where this escalated to the point where he had his hairless head and lit it poured gasoline on it and lit it on fire because kids in the early 90s could still do that <laughs> they should they have been probably not but <laughs> maybe although the see the, i guess this is where i i like unsarcastically hopefully uh I really do think that this is like a, a weird, nefarious, insidious way of this commercial world, Pixar, Disney, whatever, Mattel, uh, Galoob. Galoob's actually gets a, a pass here. But I think that they're basically saying that if you use our products in a way that's other than intended, you're hurting them. Like you're causing pain to them. You're torturing them. And further, you might even be a risk to society. If, if we see you modifying your officially licensed pixar and disney toys in a way that wasn't described in the back of the package maybe someone should look into you like what else do you have to hide you're doing things that society sees as sort of unproductive and um you know unacceptable and i i mean because in a way right sid's a monster because he's making his own action figures so i don't know i, I feel like there's a very real message being put on to kids that are watching this. That's like, Oh, like if, if I want my toys to be pure and have these souls and not the souls of cannibals, which is what Woody assumes that all of Sid's toys are because they're cannibalized toys. Right. But they assume that they're cannibals and they're going to get eaten. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a real message that a real human being that's, you know, age six to 12 might actually be taking away from that movie theater that oh i don't play with you know off-brand toys those things are evil they might be cannibals they might eat your face are you familiar with uh, howard finster the name I doesn't think. ring a bell okay um the the thing i can think of that's he was a folk artist basically and the his most i guess probably his most famous bit of work is the cover for the talking heads album little creatures uh if you want to look that up you'll get his style uh, anyway, he has a, I mean, he's been dead for 25 years, um, but there's a house in the northwest corner of Georgia, which was his house turned into this insane art display with, you know, paintings, weird apocalyptic rantings, um, a lot of toys taken apart and reconfigured in different ways, um, except for the, the, the weird apocalyptic ram ramblings. And, um, you know, it, it's not like threatening or dark. It's very colorful. So someone should look into him. What's he doing? Well, he's dead, but <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting figure. So, you know, not, See, it didn't work out well for him. If he's dead, then that's why that's another reason why you wouldn't want to tamper with licensed products and use them in yeah. ways that they weren't. Well, he went, he was very old. I think he died before a toy story, to be honest, but <laughs> just, it's kind of like, that's kind of what I think it was Sid. Like, you know, here they have to add the goth and the Punisher shirt and all that and the black and he's nasty to his sister, but yeah, this other guy is, makes shiny, colorful art, you know, with the same M.O., basically. So, in, in real life. Or made it. <laughs> well, yeah, if if you're not making art for the beast, then you're doing art wrong, and you're evil. That's you the can't, message. You can't visit the Georgia Guidestones anymore, so you might as well go check out this guy's house. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in that neck of the woods. <laughs> and and so so, on this idea that, like, even the amalgamated toys even these cam cannibalized toys have souls and they're good they're you know at least they're altruistic towards other toys how far down does that go like if you were to take the head 
off of the little doll. Like there's one that's like an action figure head and it has like a like a paint roller style body. I think it's like a ch- like a children's like an infant's toy that they would just roll on the ground for tactile sensation and someone just put like a head on it. But that thing becomes sentient and it moves around on the little roller. So like what it happens if you take the head off of that is the head continue to be sentient does the soul leave the roller or is the roller now a beheaded roller and the you know what because clearly originally the head came from a full body that had arms and legs and everything so i would assume anywhere the head goes the soul follows it but is that the case does that mean that you could just have like a like a closet or a trunk full of doll heads and they each have their own individual souls oh i got i guess two responses for that um one being we should also note that these hybrid toys have lost the ability to speak kind of suggesting they're like a lesser soul or something now that's like true they're, they're now at the level of animals like very smart animals but they're not on this sentient level that woody and pals are on uh the or is it one... because they're they're unlicensed like they they're not like a disney store you know purchased toy the, the sec and I don't think you could ever buy these things at the Disney store. I don't think they marketed these as, as merch or anything. Um, the other one is I, I want to put a pin in that point for Toy Story 3 because there's going to be a whole lot more to discuss concerning that in Toy Story 3. Right on. <laughs> uh, it's, it's going to think about everything you just said and put it on screen. <laughs> and then and then the final one, I guess, in the same context of like how how much can you boil down a toy that has a soul i guess i'm curious does a toy need to have eyes and like a mouth and ears does it have to have human characteristics because even the little play school like sound recorder there's like a cassette deck and even it is anthropomorphized right so really anything at all if if a cassette recorder can be a toy then anything can be a toy and I'm sure this exists. I didn't Google it. I'm just going to assume that it exists. Sex toy story. That would be a thing, right? Like there's little, like when you leave the room, the dildos come to life. Certainly someone made that in 1996. Someone had to. Have. I'm, I know that no one's been just sitting on that for two decades. There's no way. I remember my buddy and I, we, we were like, we wanted to write the porn version of Titanic. It's exactly the same spelling. You just pronounce it differently. It's, it's, get the tit part out you know and now you have a porno title no change in spelling for titanic i'm so, i'm so slow what i don't i'm not following what is the, the tit titanic would be the porno version okay okay i'm sure that also exists there's no way that that doesn't exist no i'm sure that exists i don't know yeah that's always a fun hobby i think of bad band names and, and porno you know parody titles <laughs> And and I wonder too, what's the difference between a Toy Story toy like Woody and the Indian in the cupboard? Is the Indian in the cupboard like the next level up? Like if if it goes the unlicensed, you know, Sid's toys that can't speak, maybe higher functioning animals, and then you've got the Toy Story toys. What would Indian in the cupboard be? I haven't read that since I was eleven, so I'm not going to be able to give you a good. Uh, well, what about the movie? Have one? you seen the movies? I don't think no. I haven't seen the movies. So. Oh, you're missing out. You're missing out oh, on the okay. movies. No, no, I haven't even thought about that uh, particular. Is that a franchise? Because that I, those ones are where they actually allow the human being to see that they're alive. Um, because there's like a little cupboard for any spoiler alert for anyone that was about to read the Indian in the cupboard uh, all <laughs> over again. 
uh, close your ears for the next 10 seconds. But he basically puts toys into a cupboard, and when he closes it and locks it and opens it again, they come to life. And anything that can fit in the cupboard, he can bring to life. Um, oh, but, that rings a bell now. And it like and it freaks them out and it freaks him out and it's it truly is like real magic being performed and observed and nobody likes it because it's so freaking powerful. And I I wonder again, like what is it? What are the toys so traumatized over that they can't ever let people see that they're alive? And there was another movie that came out Christmas in the eighties called I think a Christmas story. It was like a Jim Henson's one. That had the exact same premise where all the toys, whenever the human beings would leave, would all come to life. I think Muppet Babies is essentially a similar one, too. Or maybe no, no maybe not Muppet Babies. No, Muppet Babies is where they create their own worlds of imagination and then go right, into right, them, right. like an astral projection or something. But but like what what is this great you know was what is the great toy holocaust of like nineteen seventy eight right when like the <laughs> uh, a person walked into a room. And everyone just worldwide just started burning their toys in mass. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, we can start talking about the, the Pixar timeline if you want, where all the movies are weirdly connected. Have you heard about this this one before? Like they I don't all know exist if I in have. the same. There's I, I don't know if it how long how long the thread goes, but I know at least five years ago there was at least entertaining conjectures of how every Pixar movie, Wally, Toy Story, all actually fit into the same timeline. Oh, I, well, I have seen all the references where they each reference another movie that's going to come out or the one before it. Like, Oh, that's the intentional one, right? This is the, right. Uh, the, the more whack entertaining one where like all the movies exist on one timeline. So at some point there's like some horrible apocalypse and Wally happens and way in the future humans are gone and now it's cars. That, that, that's where it kind of like falls apart a little bit. <laughs> it's still fun to think about. <laughs> I mean, why Where, would the so cars is, have is, buildings and stuff? You know, they don't need it. They're cars. So Toy Story is pre-Wally then, and Cars is post-Wally? Yeah, way post-Wally. Okay. That's the that's the uh, part of the theory. And Yeah, there used to be websites that would like chart each new Pixar movie and try and put it into the timeline. So uh, last time I checked that was before they made the last 10 movies they've made. So I don't know if that still works or not. But, <laughs> I, but I'm yeah, you do that. The great you could have the great toy Holocaust fit into that and make like you know a dark twisted Toy Story uh, prequel sometime. You know, <laughs> we have to wait for the the copyright to lapse, but it's out. It's possible as we've seen. Woody just barely survives the toy Holocaust. You know, because and it I mean, seems like... and they they did a favor because the low resolution of the Toy Story one means that if there ever was a fan made version, they could nail the look like <laughs> without too much effort. You could nail the whole look. <clears throat> Toy Story One. Um, here's something that this could hold some water. It's I feel like Woody is passed down from Andy's father, who we never see, supposedly because they didn't want to have to animate another person. But at the same time, it's like, well, they could have had a complete Disney family here, and they they don't. <laughs> oh, is this uh, are they? Is this Disney trying to break up the nuclear family and, and normalize it? <laughs> Like I said, the excuse is, oh, we just didn't want to pay to animate another person. But then you're sitting there, Disney never had the complete family. And this is like one instance where they could have, and it wouldn't have mattered. That's a, <laughs> another interesting point, because 
Andy doesn't die and no or not of course Andy doesn't die. Uh but like Andy doesn't have a parent that dies or abandons him at any point. In this one it's the toys that are being abandoned by Andy. So it's almost this like meta inception version of the Disney proxy theory at this point. It's it's not that the kid loses his authority figure. It's now that this like uh like a celestial being exists that is the kid and his little peon creatures they get abandoned by this celestial being and you're now identifying with a creature that's been abandoned by its god which is almost like disney proxy to the higher order of magnitude like this is a, like a complete nihilism approach uh to the disney proxy like not only did your parents leave you but everything you've ever known is a lie um you're being deprogrammed right now and your god has left you and more than that your god has found a new thing that it's interested in and you're going to become completely obsolete yeah and of course in this movie they're they're moving you know so who knows what happened just before this movie starts and if you imagine the sympathy that a kid might develop like oh no poor woody i can't believe that andy's just gonna like it's almost like a Save by the bell plot like a like a drama plot line like oh i can't believe that zach's doing that to kelly but it's like i can't believe andy's doing this to woody so now the next time the kids at the store and they see the woody like they almost feel sympathy towards woody like oh i'll give you a home woody you can come home with us we'll take care of you i feel like that's not that there was someone at disney like oh i didn't totally didn't realize that dynamic i didn't realize this was going to sell more things because now these kids have a sympathetic angle, you know, towards wanting to bring ho- me home because I'm this abandoned toy that might be given up at any moment by the horrible Andy. Maybe we're, yeah, maybe we're not quite supposed to like Andy because, yeah, like you said, the, the toys clearly love him more than he loves the toys. Like, if he never does find Woody and Buzz again, he'll be over it in two weeks, you know, <laughs> where Woody and well, Buzz will not be in the getting to later movies. The toys that do not, that get abandoned or whatever have a giant chip on their shoulder. Oz, right? They've been they've been a, truly abandoned by their god. Yeah, yeah. Again, existential dread in this movie, man. That's a that's that has sat with me since the beginning. That there's something, there's a new, a new strain that the previous animated films we've been watching ha- haven't had. They don't really uh, make you question existence in that way. <laughs> And I, yeah, I'm just looking through the rest of my notes. Like I had a whole section, but we already kind of talked about it. How Sid is like the alchemist that's just kind of like shooting from the hip, doing it on his own, and not being successful. And I guess you brought up a good point that emphasizes that that his creations are these monstrosities that are inferior because they can't talk, and that represents that he doesn't have the true formula. Like he is. The, the left-hand path, black magic, uh, wizard slash... I don't know. I think a warlock is like a witch that got outed. I don't I don't know all the stipulations between wizards and warlocks, but he's the he's the black, uh, you know, back alley guy doing it, um, you know, that's, that's not sanctioned by the authorities. Right. That makes him badass, yeah. I mean, come on. Who, who's If you're like a 12-year-old, whose house do you want to hang out at? Andy's house or Sid's house, you know? It's a good point, yeah. And Andy's just got, like, he's still got uh, Woody, um, sort of like a, like a duvet on his bed. 
and i don't know it's a little bit creepy i actually think that's way creepier than some of the other implications that sid's got in his room he's got like metal posters and stuff yeah yeah is it plutonium yeah shining carpets as, as you mentioned <laughs> and then what else oh so there's this the idea that these little toys and these little figures that protect you and watch over you as they do in the following movies too like they actually have a more active role where they're sort of interjecting into human lives and changing the outcomes of these and they do it in this movie too although the consequences are more about how it affects the toys on like the toy level and the uh, traffic it, accidents they caused well i mean <laughs> it, that's all out there just like i said they can if they can push a heavy ass um you know toolbox off of a shelf they can do damage like they can push poison into your drink so the implication there's a there's a veiled threat in there but okay aside from the veiled threat there's also a lot of different cultures that did something very similar and it's not there's the sympathetic magic version of like a voodoo doll. I'm not talking about that. There were ones called, and I've got the names probably mispronounced, but idolas. And these were the ancient Greek dolls. And they also had versions of these in Rome. Um, Phoenicians used these. Canaanites used them. But you would basically create this, these little tiny effigies. And on certain nights, depending on astrological, you know, hoo-ha, you would summon actual entities from the celestial spheres and these these different bodies into this little doll and then you would leave the doll in the house and the doll would look over your stuff when you were gone essentially he was you know he was kind of like your ring camera a little bit well in japan we have a hinamatsuri uh where that's girls say that's march 3rd which is <clears throat> about two weeks before you're supposed to make get your dolls and set them up in the house like on a certain display or whatever for good luck and kind of one of the weirdest things is you're supposed to take it down just before the actual holiday so when it is march 3rd that's the holiday but at that point you should have put the dolls away already or else what it's bad luck i guess how bad i don't know like breaking a mirror bad <laughs> I mean, that could be bad. If you break a mirror, that like one of those pieces can hit your jugular and you're dead. Well, I'm just talking. I'm talking about the seven years bad luck, but yeah, something like that. You know, like well, you, you don't know, have to wait this whole seven years. Some people break a mirror and they die immediately. So yeah, they don't have to break, wait that long. If you break the mirror the wrong way, so it is safer probably to leave out your Hinamatsuri dolls rather than <laughs> break a mirror. Okay, but but I'm talking the 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 superstitious end of it there, right? But uh, so yeah, that kind of that thing, you know stepping on a crack while you're walking down the street, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to anyone that ever lost uh, their parents to their backs being broken because they stepped on a crack. Wasn't that, there was a movie, was it Warlock? I don't think it was Warlock, but there was a movie when somebody said that and they actually like broke somebody. I think they broke their parents back because they stepped on a crack. Yeah. It has to happen at least once in a movie, right? <laughs> Um, did you, did you start throwing your fastballs? Uh, yeah, I, th I think, I mean, that's, it's a good number of them because like, we're going to touch back on a lot of these for toy story two and toy story three. I think my, my leading theory here is Pixar, Disney, fill in the blank. This is the Fantasia of 3d. This is the movie that literally creates these digital homunculi and, and puts souls into them, or at least it shows the viewer it shows the world like this digital soul being put into this digital homunculus which means it doesn't have to be real 
But then once they show the world how to do it, then the world starts putting its souls into the actual toys. So it makes it makes the fake thing a real thing, which is kind of Fantasia all over again. Like Fantasia establishes the Disney universe before there necessarily was a Disney universe. It could arise and fall on a few times and never gotten back up, but it did. And now so many of the characters and a lot of the style and just the overall concept that went into Fantasia, like that continues to live forever. That's going to always be like an ever giving spring of magical life to the Disney universe, just like Toy Story is always going to be this thing that constantly is like, that's the reason we can't have nice things in a very, in a, in, a, in the way where it's like, I miss the classical animation. Like I miss the Lion King and the 2d hand drawn, even if it was digitally assisted, I miss that sort of style and Toy Story and the commercial success of Toy Story is responsible and maybe not the perfect word, but for this new trajectory of every damn movie now is Toy Story. Just yeah, it's gonna a be much better version. It will be interesting when we get to the the brief reopening of Disney animation with uh, was it Princess and the Frog and Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I, I like that Pooh movie a lot, but uh, it bombed. So they kind of like reshuttered the doors for doing anything that looked hand drawn at that point. You know what it, it is though? It's it's not like it wasn't the style, man. I, I saw both of those movies, um, and I didn't dislike them. In fact, I I absolutely am in love with the whole voodoo scene in the Princess and the Frog, like with the the black light kind of neon effects. One of my favorite scenes in any Disney movie ever, seriously. But they lacked, I don't know, some of the. Uh, like the grit, I guess. And it's not like, I'm not going to point out 101 Dalmatians. I don't think that was necessarily the best area, but I don't know. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Little Mermaid. Like some of those had some really spectacular looking animation. And I guess Princess and the Frog did too, but it was so digitally assisted. I don't know. It feels like no true Scotsman purist angle. Where like you, one, once the cat's out of the bag, it's all digital. It's It's almost like you're looking for flaws in it. But uh, I don't know, it misses some of the X factor slash heart because every one of those movies up until recently kept pushing the bar. Like even when Toy Story 1 came out, you were even like, even though I'm outside of the, the range of Disney, they hit all four quadrants that you know of. Disney knows about all 20. You only know about four. But they hit <laughs> all of those quadrants. And it was impressive because it, it elevated the bar. And I don't know if the Winnie the Pooh movie or the princess and the frog necessarily elevated anything like they went back to say like hey remember when stuff used to be a little <laughs> bit better than it was here's that remember and then people were like eh, maybe i like the new stuff i don't know now <laughs> yeah the poo doesn't push the animation ball too far but i would say the that one wins over on like really crackling dialogue which is way funnier than what we were watching in the uh earlier poo so well the er, the first poo movie is still <laughs> hilarious that they make an in-joke in the movie about how boring it is. And it's like, let's just go ahead and skip over this next part because it's the most boring thing ever. It's just like, man, when a movie in the first 20 minutes is telling you that it's skipping itself because of how boring it is, uh, there's there's something true to that statement. Something I'll say for Toy Story, I mean, some of the earlier Disney movies, um, as great as Pinocchio and Dumbo are, they feel a bit abbreviated which was real nice for timing when we were watching them. But Toy Story uh, has four minutes of credits and it. It's out after an hour 17, which is nice. Uh, that's going to slowly change, of course. But 
I mean, well, you you brought up Dumbo and Pinocchio. I mean, those are pretty old ones. I would say that Disney's issue with being abbreviated has been resolved for the last four or five movies we've seen now. Like, I don't I don't think that was existent. Maybe Lion King ish. It was a little abbreviated, but I don't know if I want that movie to be any longer than it was. No, I think Toy Story is like pretty perfectly paced where it is. I guess is my point. Like, uh, yeah, minute, minute and twenty minutes. Uh, 15 if you don't include all the credits and everything so it's it's a nice tight experience i, right. I don't want to see a two-hour toy story movie yeah i'm trying to think I, I guess animated movies still don't tend to break the two-hour mark which is nice because uh we were just you know doing 2001 a space ice and yeah this used to be a long movie now it's just like i mean it can still feel long because of the nature <laughs> of that movie but i mean time wise it's pretty much as long as anything these days you know <laughs> you go watch lord of the rings and then go back and watch 2001 space odyssey and it, and it feels like a like a commercial like and, squib, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of kubrick just just so that we don't leave anything out yeah the carpet in sid's house is the same carpet uh in the overlook hotel in the shining so, and then sid's launching you know. rockets <laughs> Yeah, and he sends la- launching rockets. So there's a lot of Kubrick insider stuff in here, and he can't and he can't launch the rocket originally. And he comes up with an excuse that it's raining, and he'll have to do it tomorrow. And things go a little bit awry. So I don't I don't know. He never actually launches the rocket, does he? I mean, Woody does, but that's different. <laughs> that's that's for the plot and service of the plot, plot armor. <laughs> I, I do like, uh, I was just thinking in screenwriting terms of that match was like so smart, you know, because it's just like, here's a match. I'm going to light you on fire later. Then it turns out to be, oh, the thing that'll save us. And then it doesn't work. And then there's plan B. And I, I was like, that, that's sharp writing. I mean, just looking at creativity that, you know, obviously this is when Pixar could crank out a pretty perfect script. Yeah. And this is like the, the subjugation of, your expectation did i get that that word right but this is like right like like completely changing what you were thinking was going to happen just for the same thing to kind of happen but yeah and the match is is chekhov's gun essentially and because woody can't have a gun i guess it's chekhov's match yeah but it's not quite because it doesn't quite work in the end it's it turns out to be more of the MacGuffin, you know (laughs) yeah no yeah fair fair point or the red herring (laughs) i should say MacGuffin's a little bit different it's the red herring yeah (laughs) It's, it's very funny. meta. It's meta inside of meta. So here we've got the Disney proxy within a proxy and a uh, a guffin within... What's the JFK? An enigma within a riddle within... Uh, you know, anyways. I'm a guffin. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I, is, I, I do appreciate it for that, though. This kind of is the start of a trade-off. Like, I mean, you know, newer, even straight-up Disney films like Tangled or Zootopia have things for... You know, it has things engaging for adults toy story is like the first time was like okay we will actually allow to fully engage with adults at the same time all this stuff is going to like kind of bland out and become you know one similar looking thing for the rest of time (laughs) i mean obviously there's differences between watching frozen or tangled or zootopia but there's not heavy stylistic differences i feel like it it all looks like you know an unreal engine that is a real I don't know if they actually use it. That's for video games, isn't it? But yeah, there is kind of a sameness to everything that you wouldn't get with earlier animation when you have completely different groups of people figuring out how to do completely different things in completely different analog ways. 
Well, and it was smart because when the time that this came out, the ability to do complex shading with like, again, as you see Andy or any other human that looks just absolutely like nightmares. But when you want to do like these simple plastic figures, it works really well, especially if you give it a, just a little bit of extra polygons and detail because they don't like a piece of plastic might actually look like unnaturally smooth. And that's convenient for these early 3D engines where it didn't have to calculate all these different um, complicated sort of surface areas and how light would bounce it off. Like it's just, you know, a smooth ball or just a smooth surface. It makes it a lot easier in order to, to reproduce that. So I actually, it would be weird to see, and I'm sure people have already done it before, but watch Toy Story 4 and like alongside Toy Story 1. I'm I basically sure that, just did. <laughs> well, but I'm I'm almost thinking that the people working on Toy Story Four have to dial back, like even like the easiest ability to make it look even more realistic, just because Toy Story One kind of established this over the top sort of like plastic Fresnel style like shading. I think they did basically have to recreate all the digital models for Toy Story Two. Like, you know, the supercomputers weren't super enough to just keep them at the time or something. Uh, I, I, I'll, have to, I'll check that when we get to two. But I think they actually had, like, like Toy Story 1, all of that stuff is basically lost because of how much data it was at the time. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering out loud without forethought, but the jump to 3D, it still required a lot of knowledge about 2D animation uh, at least in terms of like that cartoony emphasis of the classic one is like someone jumping and, like, or like a ball bouncing when it's sort of like a cartoon or animation usually overemphasize certain aspects of those so like when, when a person jumps you kind of have them almost like meld into the ground a little bit and then when they go to launch again you have their body stretch out and elongate in a way that a regular human or animal body wouldn't actually do but you emphasize it in cartoons and commercials and stuff but I, I wonder how far away we are that no one has to know any of that. You don't have to know how to draw. You don't have to know how to do 2D. You don't have to know how to do 3D. Like, it's all just kind of AI generated. And I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting because just like 2D opens up the space to do things that you couldn't normally do. And then 3D, it it's, operates in that same space, but it makes it look more realistic. And now the AI version of that it kind of like is the is both of those worlds. It makes things possible that wouldn't be possible otherwise to another level where like even a, a regular person sitting down might not even think of some weird I get I don't know, AI is kind of, of Sid, right? It's like someone making <laughs> a Disney movie with AI and not the approved models, they're the, the Sid, right? Creating these weird uh like a am- amalgam of the monsters. Yeah, I, I was thinking as a, I don't even know if this is a possible thought experiment, but if Toy Story was just a 2D animated film with, you know, Lion King quality animation, uh, would it be better, worse, about the same? No, it would, it would be Brave Little Toaster all over again, <laughs> just toys instead of appliances. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the case. Uh, you know, it's cooked in, of course, as Pixar, and that their game was doing the 3D stuff, so obviously that was never going to happen, but uh, just as a thought experiment, I guess it would still be an entertaining movie, but it wouldn't quite have that that weird resonant power that it's had. But for, I mean, for, same question, around. but if you invert it so that Toy Story is 2D and Brave Little Toaster is 3D, is Brave Little Toaster like the one that, that explodes and gets popular? 
Mm, good question. <laughs> so there is something about the visual where I guess you just blow people away and they're so impressed. You can kind of uh, work with that for a bit like, to, uh, I, I kind of feel that brave little toaster is a superior story to toy story. They're kind of the same story, except for that brave little toaster. They've already been abandoned by their God and they're in search for their, their God again. And they get reunited and everything's, you know, happily ever after when that happens. But Toy Story, it's the threat of their God is about to leave them. So this is like the the pre-story. Like Toy Story happens in a way before um, Brave Little Toaster does. Because at least they're still connected to this young kid. But in Brave Little Toaster, the family moves away. And this is like their summer home they don't go to anymore. So now the toys are where the appliances are just like, you know... It's been five years and we haven't seen another person. Well, that's going to happen in Toy Story 3, isn't it? We spend all our time in the box in the attic now. <laughs> yeah, I think Toy Story 3 is the one that I think is the most evil. Because I remember seeing that one and it, ta it takes that notch up. Not only um, are you abandoning your toys that love you and they need your love and they feel bad if you don't give them the, your love constantly. But now it's like, and they're going to go to a horrible place and be tortured to death and maybe even go to hell. And yeah, well, so they're gonna cast into hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, of course that's a conversation for another time, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm kind of running out my own steam on toy story uh, notes wise. Uh, anything else you want to throw in there? No, if, if we missed anything major, drop it in the comments because we'll be covering at least three more of these freaking toy story movies. So if there's a, if there was anything major we missed, we'll definitely pick it up on the next ones. I believe five is in the works now. No oh boy. They were saying four is in the works for 10 years. Though, so I guess don't hold your breath. I wouldn't, <clears throat> man, I would love a modern toy story. Well, I say modern, but a toy story movie made in 2024, but it's like the nostalgia of eighties, nineties toys exclusively. Um, and they kind of did that with small soldiers. I, like, I want to see a new small soldiers, basically. I guess that's what I'm asking for. Oh, I, I think I know people that definitely are like, you know, small soldiers greater than Toy Story. So, Oh, but th that's not even if there's anyone even asking that question, <laughs> they should be slapped back into reality. Like Woody is slapping MK Ultra uh, Buzz Lightyear. Like the small soldiers is such a superior movie to Toy Story. It's it's yeah that that is the one of the coolest unsung movies uh in ever been created. I think it's the premise is awesome. The ending doesn't necessarily stick, um. But man, building up to it's great. They talk about EMPs. Like, come on, what what other kids movies talk about EMPs and action figures and uh you know like nanotechnology? Essentially, it's it's pretty intense. Well, it's Joe Dante, so, you know, it's like a, a real filmmaker making it, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I will say for me, I have trouble rectifying it. You can slap me if you want, but uh, I never saw Small Soldiers till about two years ago, so it's kind <laughs> of hard for me to properly compare the two because I didn't see it in 1998 or whatever. Oh, that, so I actually saw that one in the theater. Mm. It was 98. Yeah, yeah, in university by then, so Small Soldiers was, was not... That one did not have the reach of Toy Story, which, again, kind of gets to your idea of it being a, a new Fantasia, which I'm not disagreeing with at all. So <laughs> I like that we can hit a new Fantasia. It's kind of nice. But yeah, this does feel like kind of the, the start of the real start of the modern stuff. Little Mermaid was 
kind of halfway there. Now it's like, okay, this is a fully modern feeling movie now, except that the animations may be like not quite up to snuff. Well, it's great. It's just, you know, technologically back a little bit. Yeah, it's not. I, I guess if you were to watch Toy Story, um, right? Well, the the day it came out, and then you said, "Okay, compare this to Little Mermaid. Which one of these seems like it's the superior animation?" I feel like I might be like, "Oh yeah, Toy Story, man! It looks so real." Oh, yeah, you know, no, we, we came right out there. that. <laughs> I did see it opening night. We came out saying that's the best animation ever. Yeah, <laughs> and you and you'd already seen all these great animations, but now in retrospect, it's like, oh, it's actually like the worst out of anything we've seen up until I don't know, maybe 101 Dalmatians versus Toy Story. Where are you at? Yeah, I mean, in this one, they they worked with what they had. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, 101 Dalmatians, again, the, the animation is fine, but they were taking shortcuts there, whereas here they were taking long cuts. They just didn't have the tools yet to do it properly, really. It's a good point. I, I, I just point that out because that's the one that I remember the most, like Xerox machine, like someone didn't blow the dust off the glass in between. You right. <laughs> like that, I, I don't know. And I kind of like seeing some of that, but it also feels like that's worth more criticism than poking at the ambient lighting or the low texture resolution in toy story one yeah yeah toy story one they're just you know they're having to animate with basically digital crayons you know so have they have they done a toy story one remaster where they just like update the freaking textures i don't think so why the hell not man i mean every every 3d game that's come out in the last 20 years has re-released a lot of them like the 4k you know up where it's the same everything and they just swap out the polygons and they swap out the textures you tell me that disney doesn't have the resources to do this but they can remake an entire little mermaid movie from start to end well i I guess the film snob thing you know don't screw with the original people were pretty grumpy when george lucas did it right yeah but does this does this count if if the difference is just that hey you know when we zoom in into the hallway in Sid's house and you can like literally see the blurry pixels because the texture on the wall is so close to the camera. Are you saying they can't even just update that texture to be 4k so it doesn't get blurry when you zoom into it and add a little bit of extra ambient like shadows. And I don't know. I I feel like that gets a pass. I would keep your eye open for that next year. Seeing it's as that's the 30th anniversary. It seems like, you know, you might sit on it. (laughs) If, if you they were planning 30 that, years, wow, yeah, that's, 30 that's years. crazy. Make, make everyone feel a little old. We're going <laughs> to die. <laughs> um, we are slowly dying. Yeah, as we're slowly dying, what are, what are you up to uh, these days? Uh, the, the big one is still Chaos Twins, uh, still available at chaostwins.com, although I've got, I've got four or five other huge projects. I'll, I'll limit it to the top three. So the top one is paranoidsummer.com. And that's going to be four different brand new title releases that it's, I actually want to raise the funds for it before summer so that I can release all four of these titles during summer. But one of them is Lee's demons, AKA Lee Harvey Oswald, demon hunter. And it's about Lee Harvey Oswald actually being the good guy and trying to save JFK from zombies. So there's another one called mold, which is about a lunch lady that's tormented by middle schoolers and she gets her revenge on them. Uh, by entering a underground world of mycelium and reanimating her cat. And there's another one. That that one's going to be honestly fun. That one's called Rising from the Ashes. It's about two guys that find out 
uh, from a magic tattoo parlor that the tattoos they get give them special abilities in the dream world. So they start being able to go intentionally get good ideas for tattoos, not just like a random Porky the Pig or whatever, but they'll go and get like a gun or they'll get like an axe and then they'll use that to just like tear up shop inside the dream world. Um, man, there, there's so many other projects too. I've got Lucifer Lives in Lower Manhattan, which is now on Steam or at least the, the, the coming soon page is on Steam. So go on Steam. Search for the word Lucifer. I think it's one of the only three games. I don't know. I'm cornering the market in games that have the word Lucifer in them. But yeah, Lucifer lives in lower Manhattan. And it's a game that also reveals two to three plus years of research into the satanic panic, Freemasonry, and MK Ultra in the United States during the 1930s and 1940s. There was so much research that I couldn't afford to draw it all out into a full comic book. I didn't want to write it into a regular book. So now it's going to be a video game. So there you go. And then the third one is nasacomic.com. This stands for Never a Straight Answer. And this is a comic about Stanley Kubrick directing the moon landings. And it's kind of a blend between The Office uh, because it, it kind of just takes the moon landings are being faked for granted. And that's just always the plot in the background. But the rest of the story is just about like the mundane, like the horrible things that Stanley Kubrick uh, would put all of the cast through, you know, like how insufferable he was. The fact that people complained that he wasn't, uh, he had bad hygiene and it was like affecting the actors. And this, these are all real. This is all real stuff based on Stanley <laughs> Kubrick's life. So it's a, it's a love letter to him, but it's also a fairly critical one. So yeah, those, those are just the three out of like the 20 that I've got going on. Okay. And uh, as for me, I'm basically podcasting all over the place. That's, Patreon podcastio podcastius, where I also do films and filth, talking about really good movies, really bad movies. Time enough podcast for the Twilight Zone and podcast nineteen ninety nine for covering the show Space nineteen ninety nine. Have you ever seen that one? I don't think I have Space nineteen ninety nine. Martin Landau, Barbara Bain, uh, made by the Andersons, who did Thunderbirds and stuff. But this isn't the marionettes; this is actual actors, and it's just weird metaphysical seventies science fiction. Uh, it like, sounds like it's up my alley. No, I've never, I've never seen it. It's all on YouTube, like in pretty good quality. So, uh, yeah, you can check that out if you want to. I'll throw, I'll throw another random one out there. It's, I don't think it's by anyone, anyone's ever heard of. But it's a movie called Lunopolis. I think it's called Lunopolis, and it's like a fake found footage documentary from the future. But it's also mixed with like retro style editing. Um, but the first time I saw it, it, I loved it. So yeah, if anyone's ever seen Lunopolis out there, that's an interesting one. Okay. Well, hey everyone, be nice to your toys or don't. We don't care. Well, if you're not nice to them, then yeah, you're hurt, you're actively hurting them because they love you and they want your love back from you. them. And remember that if they're unlicensed toys or you're 3D printing your own or you're you're using knockoffs or hand-me-downs they are inferior they might even be demonic the only true way to get a pure soul in your toy is the disney store tearing a hole in reality so there you go american stickers cryptids cults and killers well that was supposed to play a video clip but it didn't. I got I got a few seconds of the clip.
It's Coats and Killers, Killers. We got all your favorite conspiracies. All the land and more on our sticky sheets. Paranoid American stickers. They'll make you smile and snicker. False flags and secret societies. All of these and more on our sticky sheets. Explore the unique with Paranoid American sticker sheets. Unearth tales of cryptids, cults, and mysteries through each sticker. These won't last long. Get yours now at ParanoidAmerican.com. Will all American stickers, cryptids, cults, and killers, killers. We got all your favorite conspiracies. All the bad and more on our sticker sheets. Paranoid American stickers. They'll make you smile and snicker. What the heck are you waiting for? Discover the extraordinary with paranoid American sticker sheets. From cryptids in the night to cults out of sight, each sticker is a unique find. Get yours now at paranoidamerican.com.